Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 952 with guest Benjamin Howarth. Recorded live Friday, February 7th, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, uh, I'm in uh, Connecticut today. Richard's in Vancouver. We're back in the studio. Yeah. A fine February cold day. We uh, just learned that we're dodging the uh, impending nor'easter. Turns out it's not going to be a nor'easter. I just love living in this part of the country. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wonderful. A nor'easter is what happens when a storm comes up from the south and one comes up from the north and then they converge and wreak havoc on everybody. Yeah, I've seen those pictures. Yeah, we're not going to have one. Ah, too bad. Well, when we have them in the in the summer, it's called, you see that movie, The Perfect Storm? Yep. Yep, that's what happens. When we have them in the winter, just a boatload of snow drops on everybody and uh, wind and all that. But anyway, let's uh, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. Everybody, what do you got? Well, you know, um, we've, uh, how should I say it? Let, let's consider this a turning point in .NET Rocks. Okay. In terms of better no framework anyway. Um, we've, you know, when we went to build the very first build and we started the tablet show, it looked like it was going to be a very JavaScripty world for us for a long time. Yeah. And we've got some pushback recently. I've, you know, we've heard on a number of occasions, hey, guys. This is .NET Rocks, enough with the JavaScript. <laughs> How about you address our needs, our, us, you know, writing code for WPF, God forbid, <laughs> even Silverlight. There's a lot of Silverlight projects out there. We're .NET developers, you know, let's get back to business. So, in Better Know Framework, uh, going forward here for a while, you know, let's see what the uh, response is like. We're going to get back to business. We're going to do some WPF and uh, some basic uh, .NET. So, I uh, am currently working on WPF project myself, and in doing so, the last one anyway, I was looking for a way to have a nice, subtle animation going in the background of a form of a WPF window. 
And what I mean by that is a, a gradient brush that goes from one color to another color. And I'm going to show you a, a sample here at uh, tinyurl.com slash WPF animation. And this brings you to a Stack Overflow page where somebody answered with a very succinct example, which was great. However, the three colors they used for this gradient brush were yellow, orange, and red, which Ow. is like, ouch! <laughs> yeah, I would suggest... A Lame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would suggest not that. However, the uh, storyboard and the animation that they're using is nice and slow, which is very good. A subtle change, but I would suggest colors that are closely related, you know, or very close to each other, just so that you have this nice, subtle change of color going on in the background. It, just a very subtle change is something, something I learned from Billy Hollis, you know, just yeah. a, a nice, subtle changing background is a, can be a very uh, powerful thing. So there you go. That's how to do it in about, oh, I don't know, that looks like tw- less than 20 lines of XAML. Nice. Pretty easy. Ah, and a great movement there to get back, get dig into that good old XAML stuff that we like so much. Exactly. So, you know, we, we hear you. We, we respond to our listeners. You just gotta, you just gotta speak up. Sure. There you go. Know it, no, learn it, love it. Beautiful. Who's talking to us, Richard? So on the other side of the fence, I'm talking, I grabbed a comment off of show 944, which is the show we did with Dan Walleen talking about AngularJS. About JavaScript. <laughs> distinctly not WPF. But actually, this comment comes from one of the digressions we got into with yeah. Dan, which I thought was a lot of fun uh, when we were talking about quadcopters. And Ryan <laughs> McGowan uh, said, uh, in regards to what a quadcopter with high-quality camera is good for, the GIS architecture and land surveying industries are currently being revolutionized by the new technology. $200,000 cameras mounted on $300,000 aircraft requiring a licensed pilot and a photogrammetric surveyor to operate the camera along a flight path that is determined days ahead to capture mm. images from a quarter mile up to get accuracies of around 10 centimeters at best mm. is now being replaced by a UAV that costs a few thousand dollars and can obtain images from a hundred feet away and get under a centimeter accuracy with the camera vehicle and lens you can buy on Amazon. So awesome. To illustrate how big a change that is, we move from being able to determine the location of where a chimney is on a roof to being able to count the screws on the chimney spark arrestor wow. and locate them close enough to land a blind man's finger on the screw head. <laughs> <laughs> First, you got to get him on the roof, but okay. <laughs> no, he just said the finger. He didn't say the man. There you go. <laughs> so we lop the finger off and fly it up there. That's beautiful. That's, that's where. We, that's the way you think, Mr. Franklin. Is that what you're thinking about? That's my where goodness. My mind went. I'm sorry. You, you know, the deeper piece about this, Ryan, that you didn't actually say is the software we have now to actually compose together all of those close range photos. So that you can make a detail mosaic that doesn't look like a mosaic. That mm. it actually looks like we, you think about what Google Maps does now in quote satellite mode, which doesn't even use satellites. It's just a composition of all of these different aerial photo- photographs and whether they're taken from UAVs or aircraft. So that you can't even tell. The only reason I could tell if you ever pan in on my house is at one zoom level, it's when the house was still under construction and another zoom level, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So you get so those sorts goes, of jumps. So the, your house suddenly goes from being not built to being built. Magic. Something like <laughs> that. Well, there was a point where my house was under a gigantic tent and the tent's kind of hard to miss. 
<laughs> anyway, nice. Ryan, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, we're totally with you. The quadcopters are amazing and, and, uh, uh, not going away. There's probably a geek out in our future about our drone overlords at some point. I'm watching what the FAA is doing regulatorily wise because you know what's going to go away next will be the traffic helicopter. Because what's the point if you can leave something flying up there almost 24 hours a day for low cost that'll track all traffic? It just means the traffic helicopter's dead. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, sir. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest, who you've already heard from there in the intro. Benjamin Haworth is a former Umbraco CMS core team member, a serial .NET OSS hacker and independent software consultant currently working with Universal Music Studios in London. As well as blogging about all things .NET and open source, he loves photography, traveling, and fencing. Uh, welcome, Benjamin. And what did you think about that crazy uh, quadcopter idea? I Speaking think of photography. That's <laughs> that sounds uh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I've been wanting to play around with quadcopters for a, a while. I got over over Christmas. I got some uh, .NET Gadgeteers, which is the kind of the the oh, Net yeah. Arduino instead of the Arduino. Yeah, uh, and I've been uh, wanting to tinker with those for a while. And I've so I've got myself an accelerometer and a distance measurer, and already started plugging it up. And it's been so much fun to play with. Uh, and I remember seeing at a hackathon, uh, probably a couple of years ago now, someone took uh, just a general remote control helicopter yeah. and then just un, uh, took out the controller and plugged it into a USB adapter, hooked it hey. up to his machine and started writing some Java code. And suddenly he was controlling the copter. And I just went, that's actually quite unbelievable. I really want to do that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm dying. As per, You asked me to answer your $5,000 question. And oh, I, we'll I know get there. My, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, well, my biggest, well, my biggest part I'll save for later, but whatever's left is going on those kind of little accessories. Very cool. Uh, Very cool. Yes. We, we uh, have the, um, the Parrot drone here at Pwop Studios, and uh, oh, you can I'm fly those. Get one of those. Yeah, you can fly those with your Windows phone or your Android phone, and they have apps that you can you can just use the accelerometer in the in the phone to to drive them with. It's just I, great. Yeah, I've I've seen some some of the hacks that people have done for Android. I didn't realize you could do it for Windows Phone. That is something I if you if I was given one of those, I probably wouldn't leave my house for yeah. a week. Uh, <laughs> Except, except to go in the back garden and make it and, and test that it works. Um, at which point, when it was finally working, I would then just go, I'm playing with this for the next week. <laughs> All right. So let's talk Umbraco CMS. Yeah. CMS, so, priceless CMS, the cost of virtually nothing. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's, been, it's been open source since 2005. It started originally as a project by Niels Hartwig in, in Denmark back in 2000 when he started building websites. And, and back then, .NET didn't really exist as a thing. So uh, its, its history has come from a legacy Com plus VB6 application, which then used XML XSLT to mm. output HTML in a really fast way uh, to create websites. And so that's where its kind of roots have started. And then in 2005, they released it as .NET open source, uh, their version 3. And since then, uh, it's had now, in, especially in the last three or four years, it's had massive user traction since uh, 
since Microsoft have finally given it their full endorsement and their support. Microsoft actually use it for running the official ASP.NET site. Wow. And for MSDN and for TechNet. So it's uh, pretty, uh, pretty impressive as a, you know, some names that uh, happening to use it. I mean, right now I'm sat in Universal Music Studios in London where I'm consulting and we've just released a site update to one of our biggest portfolio sites, which is universalmusic.co.jp. Uh, and that serves 10 million people a day. We're running it across uh, multiple servers uh, with, a C- with a SQL backend and behind a load balancer. And we've just released the update from version four to version six of Umbraco, which we've managed to finish in the last week or so. So that clearly the product can scale. Oh, yes. <laughs> but is, is the main model here when it comes to CMS is it all about non-technical people being able to put stuff on the internet reliably? Yes, it certainly is. And uh, the I think the thing with Umbraco as a CMS, what makes it really great in terms of user traction is that everything is very simple through the UI and through how to extend it. Umbraco's mainly pitched itself at kind of three core audiences. Uh, the first one is uh, user uh, content editors and the ability to be able to manipulate and manage content uh, in a very, very consistent fashion across uh, different parts of your site is something that content editors really want. Uh, The second part is making sure that the design, it's very easy to implement a very clean HTML5 or XHTML uh, and CSS design uh, for front-end developers. And I know a lot of front-end devs who you can give Umbraco to out of the box and they go, oh, great, I can actually build the whole site with this without knowing expansive amounts of .NET code. I can use Razor. Uh, Umbraco Mm. built Razor support into its templating engine Mm -hmm. as part of, I think, V4.6. So, uh, so there's different ways of being able to template. It's also got support for Ruby and Python if you're really so inclined. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very pluggable uh, in terms of what it can support and who can use it as well in terms of intended developer audiences and intended user audiences. So, and yeah, the final part is obviously developers. It's got great open APIs, um, stuff that you can easily extend, everything from the front, from the front end through to the back office. Uh, pretty so much I was going to say that uh, the 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 storage mechanism is pluggable as well. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's uh, media and file storage uh, implementations, which means Umbraco runs very comfortably on Windows Azure. Uh, you can store your media items in Azure Blob storage. You could store them in a database. Uh, you could put them anywhere you like. You just have to write a provider for it, plug it in, and off you go. And there's providers and for every kind of database in the world, probably right. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Umbraco 4 used to run on its old uh, hand-rolled data access layer, which supported MySQL and SQL Server. And we used to support VistaDB and then briefly dropped it. And that might come back later. I'm not too sure at the moment. Uh, But now it uses Petapoco out of the box, which means any standard uh, SQL client connectivity that that .NET supports, uh, Umbraco will support as well. I just have an aside here. If you go to umbraco.com and click on the developer's site and look Mm -hmm. at the creepy kid clip art there, that's brilliant. (laughs) I love that kid. (laughs) I wish he was my son. Uh, uh, That's actually one of Niels' kids. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Niels Niels took photos of his kids. And in fact, Niels' mom has her own website that still runs on Umbraco 2, and it still runs to this day. Wow. So That's And hilarious. it's so easy that even she can use it. And she must be in her 60s by now, I think. So, 
I just want to so, yeah, keep that picture of that boy up there on, on my uh, desktop <laughs> all day, just to keep me in a good mood. That's just now, a great now, picture. Ca- careful with that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great picture. I love kids. That's true. <laughs> Secret to enjoying children is in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I, I like I was gonna say I like kids, but I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, both of you over there in the corner. Uh, WC Fields, <laughs> yes, yes. Get out of here, kid. You bother me. Anyway. Fab. <laughs> so how much can a regular mortal non-developer actually get somewhere with Umbraco, or does it take a developer to get it up and running? It doesn't take a developer. Um, over the last couple of years, Microsoft's helped Umbraco get to a point where you can just point, click, and run. Um, there are starter kits that come out of the box. Uh, so you can use either Web Matrix or Web Platform Installer. You can just go in there and just type Umbraco, and hey presto, it comes down and it installs itself with IIS Express, and you can just start developing straight away. You can hmm. set up. Uh, it uses SQL Server CE now for an embedded database, so you don't even need to put in anything technical like connection strings. And then it gives you the option of some starter kits at the start. So you can say, I'd like a personal site or a business professional corporate site, or I'd like just a blog. And it downloads the package in a zip file, installs it in your site, templates, scripts, everything you need, and off you go. That's that's it. It even sets up some basic content structures for you so you have half a dozen pages to get kick-started with. So a lot of people I know, actually, an Umbraco developer will come in and say, oh, hey, yeah, let's start building this. And then what will happen is over time, the site requirements and things will get more complex, at which point I'll get a phone call saying, hey, we need an Umbraco expert. Would you mind coming in and helping us out here? So that's a, a lot of my sideline is uh, a lot of my main business is picking up sites where someone has just started something small for what a business thought was some relatively simple requirements and then they want to scale it up. And all you know, all of that's manageable from the low-end basics all the way up to the high-end enterprise stuff that we're running here at Universal. So the so Universal is running on Braco on several sites then? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we're pretty much heavily uh, embedded with it here. We've got a whole toolkit uh, around automated deployments and using Umbraco uh, for most of our sites. Uh, we're using the big one that I'm uh, helping out with the upgrade for, which, uh, as I say, just gone live, is universal-music.co.jp. Okay. Um, and that manages all of Universal's artists and labels within Japan. So, Because wow. Universal Music owns... Uh, parts of EMI and Polydor and various other uh, labels. And yeah, they run their entire website on a single Umbraco instance, which we've got running over multiple servers. Now, so, now this, is, this is interesting. I mean, you, hmm. you must love this place to work because not only, um, you know, did you get here because of Umbraco probably, but hmm. also you, you're, quite, you're a bit of a musician yourself, aren't you? I am, yeah. I, uh, I I used to play piano and saxophone up until about 10 years ago, and then high school uh, got in the way, if you will, of my professional ambitions to be a rock star. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I got to a point where uh, it was a toss-up between either spending a good hour, uh, it's coming up to two hours a day practicing, or it was I actually had to get on with schoolwork, and I was getting more and more in-depth into programming at the time. Mm. So I got to grade six and went, you know what, I'm very happy with this. Here in the UK, the, um, uh, the grading system for music, when you get to grade six, it's actually the equivalent of a high school diploma, so, which is pretty valuable. So yeah, I have an extra two of those effectively. 
wow, both okay. in piano and saxophone. So what, what exactly are you in charge of at Universal Music? Uh, so here I'm in charge of the process improvement and the upgrade stuff where, uh, as I say, we've been running a number of sites on the older versions of Ambraco, version 4. And due to the way that the products evolved over time, the new version that's come out, uh, I think it's about 18 months ago, version 6, is much faster, much slicker, uh, gives us a lot more features, gives us uh, things like unit testability. And we get to uh, we get to leverage enterprise level toolkits and deployments uh, with the stuff here. So I'm overseeing a lot of that, including the agile process management improvements. So uh, implementing things like uh, code quality rules, test coverage, uh, automated deployments, and various things. And we, we're using a, a wide swathe of things that we've uh, developed in-house and other freelancers and consultants have come in and built. And a lot of them are now open source on GitHub as well, which is really great. You, you wouldn't think a company like Universal embraces open source as much as it really does. Uh, and, and they really do. They thrive on this stuff. And they let the, the actual freelancers go back and give that back out on GitHub. So, so yeah, I mean, one of, our, one of our key tools that we use for deploying to our servers is built using PowerShell. It's a, a toolkit called PowerUp. And a couple of guys who, well, one of the guys who here who used to use it, uh, a guy called Marcel Dupreez, uh, was helping uh, He, I believe he left about a year ago, but he worked with a toolkit, this, this PowerUp toolkit, which basically uses PS Exec from the SysInternals toolkit and PowerShell to automate a whole load of stuff to do with setting up and tearing down sites in IIS. So, and we can do that across all our servers. We can run a deployment and it takes maybe 15 minutes to run across all our servers, uh, and suddenly we have a new instance or bug fixes for our sites out there in the wild. So, awesome. which is really, it's really powerful. We're doing sure. some great DevOps stuff. So, and yeah, so my job is to basically take that, improve some of the process around that, and make sure that we get better test coverage and uh, improve the documentation in-house, because the, our, our department, interestingly, runs pretty much entirely on freelancers. So people come, use their tools, people leave. And so what my task is to kind of come in, take a look at everything we're using and go, right, let's actually document how we're doing this stuff so that we have, you know, relatively set in stone, or at least for now, uh, something that says, right, this is the way we do things and this is why, and this is what we get out of it in terms of uh, quality and cost reduction and all of these other things. So you say you're doing some great DevOps stuff. The one thing I've learned from listening to Richard about DevOps, and I'm sure he'll mm. chime in here, is mm. that it's it's really a, a way of life, not a not a technology, and and it takes uh, you know the the getting along of the IT people and the in you know the operations people and the developers. So you guys have that oh. culture there where everybody talks to each other. Oh, very much so. In fact, actually, we uh, we we keep our, the servers that we run are actually outsourced with a third party company, and uh, they basically provide our server patching. But apart from that, they let us do everything. Um, so we're fully in charge of what we deploy and where we deploy it to. Uh, so we have um, we have a couple of hypervisors with them, which are pretty powerful. So yeah. and we we basically say right, so we're going to use these servers for this, and that's it, and we just set it up and. PowerUp helps us with that a lot because we can just specify a text file that says, right, here's the IP, here's the username and password, and here's the folder we want to dump it to. 
and some settings that we want to translate in there, things like connection strings and environment settings, turning debug mode off and certain things like that. So I, uh, when doing the Umbraco 6 upgrades, I wanted a new environment to set these up. So I added, I basically copied and pasted our existing settings and changed a few bits and pieces in there. And within 20 minutes, I had new environments. So that's, that's really as simple as it was. So added some extra builds into Team City and hey presto we suddenly had working upgrades so <laughs> it's it i'm very much enjoying the fact that we we are thoroughly embracing it here and everyone has buy-in everyone has visibility from project managers product owners all the way down to front and back-end devs anybody has the capability of running a build on any machine and we we do really well at the joel test here i thinking about it we easily score about i'd say 11 if not the full 12 so we don't, I don't think we quite do hallway usability testing, but we get, we get pretty close with everything else. And you mean, you mean Joel uh, Spolsky's 12 Steps yes. to Better Code? That's the one. Yeah. So continuous integration, testing, quiet environments, all those kind of things. So we're, we're very much left happily to listen to the music, which we get, of course, courtesy. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. What a surprise. So, um, so yeah, no, we're, we're, we have a fabulous working environment here. And, uh, and, yeah, it's great how everybody has the capability to just fix, push, test, and deploy. Or everyone has the power to do that, which means that we really have the, the best ideas come to the top because everybody has to have buy-in because everybody has visibility. Right. How were you doing testing with Umbraco? Now, in V4, testing was harder than it should have been because um, because of the le some legacy code base issues, a lot of stuff was tied to having a web context. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever tried, but testing with HTTP context is a little painful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So now in V6, we've got uh, decoupling. And in fact, a lot of the stuff that's come in V6, the latest version, we have uh, decoupled services. So everything can be mocked and stubbed. And that's really nice. So we're using Rhino mocks for, for stubbing our stuff out. And then we're using NUnit for running our testing. And we get, uh, as part of Team City, we also get uh, code coverage with a built-in copy of .cover. So we have full visibility. When we write a test, we see what's being tested, how much code coverage we have and subsequently what's actually working or not working. So, which is really great. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very pleasing setup. So having worked in different environments where different companies are doing things differently as a freelancer, to be able to come in and actually implement all of, I guess, what, you, what I feel would be the perfect DevOps setup um, is very enlightening. So. Well, and it, yeah, when you say pleasing setup, I really like, what is it about that that's pleasing? It's just fast? It's, uh, it's that everybody here has buy-in. It's more about the fact that the team is bought into everything. So that's um, more of culture than it is configuration. Uh, yes, but it's the configuration that they needed, which wasn't quite perfect before, which is part of what I've been doing here, uh, is improving the configuration and improving that. And everybody is now bought into that. Uh, and so, yeah, now it's, now it's more of a culture thing. Um, so previous places, it's just been like someone set it up and then it's just done. And it's like, you don't have any involvement in how that could potentially be improved, right. whether you could use new tools and things here, because we're effectively being agile with agile, um, everybody gets a say 
in what we should put in, what we should think about doing, whether we should think about using new toolkits. Uh, we've got certain stuff, uh, we've got certain bespoke uh, line of business applications which right. use uh, Node. We've got stuff that uses SignalR. Uh, we've got some back-end stuff which uses RavenDB because it's faster. And that actually publishes to caches that link with Umbraco um, just for extra speed on our caches. Uh, so... And we, you know, every, and those were picked collectively by the, all the different tools that we're using. Were all picked collectively. We even have JS unit testing using um, grunt files uh, within Node. So because the front end devs use Max, and so they don't live within Visual Studio, but that's fine. They can still run Node. They can still run Grunt. They still get testing, and so do we. We still get visibility, even though we may not. I myself, I'm not a Node expert. I love my JavaScript. Uh, I've been doing a lot of talks about. Uh, HTML5 SPAs recently on the speaking circuit and mm -hmm. stuff. When I met you guys at that conf, I was doing that. And, uh, you know, I like JavaScript. I like the extensibility, but not everybody gets scoping. The, this keyword is the one that scares everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and so for, but for everybody to be able to have visibility over what other people are doing, it, we have now got a really transparent culture here, which uh, it's great, you know. Uh, it's going to be a shame to leave the team, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're having a ton of fun there as well. Yeah. I'm just yeah, really I'll... fascinated with how you get to this place. Like, it's great to be there, but, mm. you know, it's like it's fun to be in orbit, but getting up to orbit is a bear. And, I, yes. and, the, and the sort of order of events to me seems a really challenging part. Like, you can mm -hmm. get all these tools, but if people yeah. aren't working together, the tools aren't going to save you. I just no, wonder what no. actually came first. Uh, what, what, ah, okay. So what we had first was we had automated builds and we had some elements of testing, but then, uh, due to deadlines slipping and various things, uh, we had, um, issues with some code quality stuff. And, you know, a few people were less than happy that they were implementing testing after the fact, which in a TDD design pattern kind of really shouldn't happen. And, so, you know, and I was brought in to do the Umbraco 6 upgrades. And as part of that, I was brought in to look at improving these processes to, to improve the quality, to up the quality. Because as part of, um, it was partly, I came in to help with the processes and with the new tooling that I was tasked to implement, namely the Umbraco 6 upgrade, the uh, benefits of testing and all these other uh, parts of the process were more easily realized. So it was a question of, Oh, right. So now we actually have budget to come in and bring me in. And hey, presto, we suddenly get a shiny new toolkit with which we can then do this and this and this and this and this. Right. So it's, it was a combination. You know, the, the culture was there before. Being brought in with that mandate um, made it very easy to get buy-in because everybody wanted it. And the budget was what made it happen effectively. Right. So and, and that and the combination of the new tooling. And how much time do you think in a given week you're spending on tweaking the process versus doing the work? Um, I At the moment, it's actually going down because it's now, I'd say it's about 10% process and about 90% work now. Right. Um, we've, uh, as I say, we finished, we finished the universe, the Japan, uh, the site upgrade for that. I've now moved on to the next site that needs upgrading, uh, which is... Uh, 
uh, called Symphony, and that's the classical music brand that uh, that Universal is in charge of. So, uh, and now that we've done, Japan was effectively the test bed to start doing this, and we started doing it before Christmas, and we got um, one of our bespoke line of business apps out before Christmas, along with uh, the website. And the LOB app is fascinating. It's a, it's a SignalR app, and we're using AngularJS uh, for a full HTML5 SPA experience uh, with RavenDB under the hood as well. So it's pretty much everything that sounds new and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, every single buzzword you can imagine, it's, it's, it's in this product, basically. Um, and it's fantastic because the customer loves it. We've built it agile. The customer loves it. We love working with it because it's so easy to maintain. Um, we're using Castle Windsor for dependency injection, all these kind of, you know, it's just, it, it, we'd be hard pushed to build a better product. Uh, and our, in fact, our client base over in Japan has, uh, we had an email from them saying that, that they have been dreaming of a product like this for years and now they finally have it. So they're, they're like kids with candy. So, which is great for us. So, uh, uh so yeah, now that that went out before Christmas, now the upgrade, the main upgrade, which was kind of the prototype has been done. Now we know what the process is. We know what it, we want it to be. It's now just going around and implementing it on every single site in the portfolio. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to replace a symphony of new and shiny with a cacophony of old and overweight. <laughs> 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 It's uh. time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, of course, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we do that, and before we tell you who that is, I have something to say. Well, Telerik does. They want you to know mobile apps are dead. Really? Watch as Telerik unveils what comes next. Are you stuck with tools and vendors that make you choose between native, hybrid, or a web-based approach? You no longer have to choose. Mobile apps are dead, and there's a new way forward. The new wave is all about building long-lasting and compelling cross-platform and multi-device apps that will forever transform mobile development for the better. Are you ready? Go to mobileappsaredead.com, where you'll learn how to pick the right approach for each project, tackle the fragmented and dynamic mobile ecosystem, elevate your productivity, and shorten time to market and create compelling experiences across platforms and devices. MobileAppsAreDead.com. Watch the free online keynote from Telerik. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Awesome, buddy. So who's our winner? Today's winner is John Kidd from England. Congratulations, John. Uh, excellent. A fellow countryman. Fellow countryman. Yes. And he Indeed. just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything they do in one box. A $2,000 value. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, technology, to one lucky member. And uh, you know what's coming. Yes. Yeah. And I think Ben's ready. Benjamin, if you yes. had $5,000 to spend... On technology, what would you buy? I would buy the NEC X552S, which is a 55-inch touchscreen TV. And I would buy that to plug into my computer and write code with. <laughs> wow, 55-inch? So is it a 1080p thing or is it 4K? What is it? It's 1080p. Uh, 
Yeah. 1080p. Yeah, it's not a 4K, but it's touchscreen. So oh, that would I, I get the feeling that actually being able to physically reach across the screen, Minority Report style, yeah. and dragging stuff around, that would be a lot of fun. And if you add on top of that a Connect with Jessica's control, oh, geez. it would just be unbelievable. So, so for, And that's how much is it? Uh, that is $2,500. So if I've got leftovers, then I'd buy Netduino parts to buy... <laughs> To, well, we've been talking about this idea within the Umbraco uh, conference community for a while is uh, setting up a miniature robot wars competition. Uh, and whether we would do it as quadcopters or actual robots you drive around on the floor, I'm not sure yet. But mm. I want to see it go to fruition this year. So that's next on my shopping list on Tuesday. <laughs> wow, very good. I like a man yeah. who's prepared. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you've been thinking about that for a while. Was Yeah, there's also this whole idea of these interactive screens to support the agile process. So we've sp- there's, there's an interesting bit when we deal with DevOps of just having that passive updatability so that people mm. know where you're at without interrupting you is, yeah. is huge. And keeping those whiteboards with post-it notes up to date is a non-trivial chunk of time. Yes. No, uh, we've, uh, we're actually using uh, fog bugs for our ticket management, and we've looked at integrating it with Trello. Uh, we're in, interestingly, both made by the same company, uh, but they don't actually talk natively to each other. So there is a homebrew out there which will take from the fog bugs API tickets, and it will listen for statuses, and then it will go and update Trello accordingly. So if you move things through various queues, then it can update card walls for you. But it's a one-way only thing at the moment. I understand Fog Creek are working on improving on that. Uh, when they do, I think we will be getting a nice interactive agile board here in the office. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So, and, and speaking of your ideals, you know, you want to write code on a 55-inch monitor. Your ideal yes. dev setup. Ah, my ideal dev setup. Well, I'm pretty happy with what I have at the moment, which is I picked up a laptop about, I'd say, six or seven months ago, just before I met you at uh, at that conference. Mm -hmm. And this laptop is insane. It's a Toshiba satellite, Mm -hmm. uh, P75A7200. It's got one of the best i7s I've ever seen in it. Now, it's a brick. It's insanely heavy. It weighs about three kilos. It's about six pounds. Mm. Um, So... It's big. It's a beast. Uh, It's got a 17-inch screen. It doesn't fit in a rucksack easily. It's awkward to carry around. But it comes out of the box from Best Buy. It comes with 8 gig of RAM. It takes up to 32. It's got a second hard disk bay, which means you can turn it into SSD instantly. Mm -hmm. And it's got one of the fastest i7s that you will ever benchmark. One thing that really annoys me about laptop shopping is that everyone says, oh, it's an i7. Oh, it's this and this and this. And some i7s at the low end are actually slower than the top end i5s. Yeah. So you actually have to go and benchmark the thing to find out what's a good, uh, what actually has more speed. So and when I was wandering around Best Buy, I went, no, I know that one's rubbish. No, I know that one's rubbish. No, I know that one's rubbish. And then, ooh, what's that one? So you can't just tell by the... By the uh by the speed no no you can't you actually have to look at the 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 number the benchmarks yeah Yeah. you actually have to go look up the model number i use some cpu benchmarks to go check that out um uh, and there's a website and you can just type in them uh and you just type in the model number the processor and it compares them all together which is really awesome so then uh on the thing i've got windows 8 one pro which windows 8 when I first got it, annoyed me a little bit with some networking bugs with UDP issues. Right. Uh, but they seem to have ironed that out, and they've uh, stopped forcing that Hyper-V is enabled, I think, hmm. uh, which is nice. Uh, so, uh, And then 
Visual Studio 2010, 12, 13, standard IDEs, three lots of SQL Server, because you never know what a client's going to be dealing with in databases. And then the toolkits. Uh, uh, we've, I've started to introduce some uh, code dependency tools here at, uh, at Visual Studio as well. So we've got, uh, uh, I've got a license for something called Endepend, which is made by uh, Patrick Smatcher, and you can get it at endepend.com. It's really awesome product. Uh, I've used it for doing massive refactors where I've picked up a very legacy code base, yeah. and a lot of things are interconnected, and you want to go, actually, I'd like to loosely couple this thing and break apart all, all the things that are broken up. So... Endepen mm -hmm. is really part of my essential toolkit for that. Mm -hmm. um, next in my suite is uh, Infragistics. Uh, I know there's a lot of, it's, it's always a, a tetchy thing as to, there's a lot of companies that do controls and IDE tools and mm -hmm. things. Uh, I've used Telerik controls, I love them. Um, but right now I'm using Infragistics because mm -hmm. it's uh, some of what I use on some other projects. Okay. So um, uh, I've got to love me some NuGet because I actually. Added some stuff to NuGet a couple of years ago. Who doesn't love them some NuGet, really? <laughs> uh, I, lo I love me some NuGet. I love me some NuGet. We've actually set up our own in-house NuGet server here as well for some of our reusable code, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. Um, and we have Team City pushing to that automatically. So now you're not using Visual Studio then? <laughs> oh, no, I'm using, oh, I'm most definitely using Visual Studio. Okay, we get, well, NuGet's in there then. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, but we're using it as part of our build process as well. I see. Uh, yeah, because you can have it so that NuGet will automatically download package dependencies yes, on yes, build, yes. So, which we have set up. And that's really awesome because it reduces the amount of uh, dependencies that we have to source control and all those, yeah, all that mess and, and trouble. So, uh, so, yeah, that makes our lives a lot easier. Uh, and I helped to add a couple of extensions to NuGet, which means you could actually write your own plugins because it uses uh, MEF. I always like talking about being the MEF dealer. Who <laughs> <It> doesn't? <laughs> exactly. Right. I, you know, I love doing some, uh, love doing some MEF. I think someone on Twitter said, uh, uh, we have a custom setup with MEF and Splunk. And I kind of went, yeah, peace yeah. and love, man. Peace yeah, and love. Peace and love. <laughs> MEF and Splunk. Yeah. So, peace, um, love, MEF, Splunk, and understanding. <laughs> What's it. so funny about that, really? What? Yeah. Well, I know. What's maybe, so maybe. funny about MEF, Splunk, and understanding? <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, so yeah, so uh, NuGet is an essential part of any project I work mm -hmm. on because uh, of package restore and because of the extensions. I've got some custom Umbraco extensions as well. Um, and what else? Uh, for logging, um, I use Logfinet and, well, when it when they sort out the versioning issues between v1.2 and v2 and uh and then i use gibraltar uh agent as well for uh putting that up in the cloud so we can analyze which clients are throwing which exceptions so things like web applications or desktop applications it's really great for giving us a a, a great overview as to percentages of where uh, errors are coming from within the application and how they're being caused. Maybe it's an environmental issue. Mm. So, and that gives us some great insight. And basically, it gives us some free deep dive analytics out of the box, which is really nice. And the basic agent itself is free, as is the desktop viewer. So I can just load up a desktop session, point it at my app and go, hey, tell me what's going on in there right now. Mm. And, and it'll do that, which is wonderful. So, so yes, that's overall, I think that's my ideal setup and a copy of Need for Speed to hand at all times. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah. This is interesting. Uh, you, do you find that after, you know, coding for a certain amount of time, you just got to take 15 minutes and, you know, drive yep. or whatever? Or 
play a game. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, the research has shown been- that bra- the brain sort of gets fatigued and needs to take a break and, and after, you know, for even 15 minutes or so. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and change is as good as a rest. And the other thing as well is that um, the UK has some wonderful health and safety laws. And it says that if you spend an, an hour at a time working at a VDU, you then should take five minutes away from your desk, yeah. which is the perfect chance to go and make a coffee or something. Play and if some you guitar. find. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or in my case, go for a cigarette. Children, I don't condone smoking. <laughs> Terrible habit. Don't start. Don't start. Um, no. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a good. You know, it's a good opportunity to just take five and just sit back and think and do something different, whether mm. that's, uh, you know, going, getting a coffee, but get away from your screen five minutes in every hour. Good deal. Um, and if you're working for three hours straight because you're working on something that's very intense, like a, a big bug or something, taking, yeah, just 15, 20 minutes and just go, you know what, just need to mentally clear out and maybe something else will come to me. And the best ideas tend to happen in that little void. I agree. Just, totally. Yeah. Tell us about this plugin you've been contributing to for Umbraco. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, a friend uh, called Aaron Powell, who is Slice on Twitter, asked if there were any good code-first tools uh, for creating uh, what we call document types within Umbraco. Umbraco has got this concept of uh, everything is an object, and every object has a structure. So you have uh, what are effectively uh, classes for your content. Uh, they're not actual classes. They are just entries in a database, but they do have property inheritance. So you can set up something like base page and that would contain the properties for your title and uh, your meta keywords, your meta description and things like that. And then everything that you, every type that you create underneath that uh, also inherits those properties. And that can be really useful for reuse, you know, reusability and extensibility. So, and Taking this idea of classes a little further, we've looked at uh, code-first tools, and Aaron looked around and said, so, you know, I don't really see much in terms of code-first that's very good. There's a couple of items which are quite old, have been outdated. Some other people have had similar ideas. Uh, You know, we're looking at ideas that are similar to the entity framework code-first, including uh, migrations stuff. And so... Uh, he said, you know, let's, uh, what's, you know, what, what's good out there? And people went, eh, not really much. You know, there's some old stuff, but it doesn't really work very well. And uh, he said, oh, okay, it can't be that hard to build. I went, yeah, why not? GitHub. So <laughs> within, a, within, a, within a couple of days, we knocked together something which uh, is called You Code It. Uh, there's a convention within Umbraco for naming everything, every plugin that you can imagine with a U at the beginning of it. Sure. So, uh, you code it. Someone a couple of years ago at the conference that we have every year in Copenhagen uh, came up with a package called You Broke It. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. You and broke it, you oh, bought the, it. Yep. The, oh, the best bit was that you broke it sporadically would actually break things in your back office. Just huh. like it's the ultimate April Fool prank. So, uh, yeah, so they released a package called You Broke It, which would remove menu items and content, just hide from users. And they suddenly go screaming, where is everything? Like, Relax. It's fine. We can fix it. We're freelancers. We charge an hourly rate. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, so we created You Code It, which is a great plugin. And we, uh, Umbraco 6 supports MVC. So what we did is we created a way of, genera- of creating a class and those classes will inherit from a base class which will work with MVC uh, within Umbraco and uh, it will automatically generate the document types when your site boots up from your code. So then you can have full code inheritance, you can have 
you can effectively source control what your content structures are uh, and you can have that automatically generated as well which means that people can run on local databases uh, rather than having to share a database and they can just use these code files and when the site boots hey presto it sets up the structure for them without any effort whatsoever so it's quite a fun little plugin that we've uh, that we've developed and it's over at github.com slash code gecko slash you code it uh, I'm pretty sure that's the right link so uh, so yeah uh, if people want to check it out then it's a it's a good it's a good developer friendly tool for uh, uh, for getting kickstarted with Umbraco. awesome and um, there's a, another thing that we were going to talk about Twitterizer what's that yes uh, so your standard Hello World app contains uh, go to Twitter API, pull out five tweets, right? Uh, right. I, think I, saw, I think I saw Scott Guthrie do that in about three <laughs> lines of code in yeah. uh, 2011 using Light Switch, I think, um, which we don't really talk about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, here at Universal, we've been uh, using uh, Twitterizer for pulling out artist tweets, including those for Lady Gaga. And uh, which is quite nice. And uh, we needed to update to Umbraco 6, which uses a lot of the new Microsoft web stacks. So web pages, Razor, uh, a, lo a lot of the, the ASP.NET libraries available via NuGet, uh, which then have a dependency on uh, a JSON uh, library, Newtonsoft JSON. Mm -hmm. And uh, our problem was that Twitterizer uses a really, really old version of this. And so I took a look at the project, and it's kind of gone a bit quiet recently. Everyone's kind of gone, oh, you know, we're just hibernating this, you know, bug fixing it, making sure it still works with our product, but nothing really doing. So, so I've recently gotten involved with this, and uh, we're, going to be going, we're going to be coming out, if we haven't already come out with a new release by the time this goes live. Um, we're going to be coming out with a new release shortly, which includes lots of useful features. Um, you know, we're going to rejuvenate some life because a lot of people are downloading this library, but it's just kind of sat there in a very hibernated state for about 18 months or so. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I've kind of come in, done some bug fixes, and with the blessing of, uh, of Ricky Smith, who, you know, kicked off the project back in 2008, um, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, moving forward with a bit more active development on it now. So uh, all your Hello World Twitter apps can be built with our library now. <laughs> wow, great. Nice. So, <laughs> it's not really Hello World. It's Hello Twitter, isn't it? Hello Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, Hello Tweeps, is it? <laughs> Tweeps. That's <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, I think uh, I'm... Uh, a prime minister here in the UK, David Cameron, once uh, uh, said, uh, went on radio and said, uh, he said, oh, this Twitter thing, you know, I think, I think, I think it might be a case of too, too, too many tweets make a twad. <laughs> 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 he actually went on radio and said that. <laughs> have you guys been using SignalR? I can't remember if he said that you were or not. We have, yeah, actually. It's, I uh, love SignalR. I've started to come to love it it's really impressive what you can do with it we've been using it for um uh for the kind of client server stuff that we're doing we've got a bespoke line of business app which helps to manage aspects of our catalog uh, so the stuff that actually goes for sale on the website and we've come up with this new new and improved version which has been built from the ground up uh, using asp.net mvc 
uh, and we're using AngularJS for all the views. So the full SPA uh, routing stuff is all done using Angular. And then we're getting all the libraries and we're doing all the interaction using SignalR because then we get to subscribe to service events and we have a service bus that then goes into MSMQ and then publishes stuff to RavenDB. So we have this whole distributed system uh, where people are managing stuff within the system and then it goes off and then it gets sent to the uh, uh, the service bus and then the subscribers, be they websites, be they other bespoke apps, just subscribe to the service bus and they go, hey, you know, I see that, lovely, I'll update my local cache or my local data. So it's a fully disconnected but really rich interactive app and it's 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 amazing to think, you know, like I say, one of these big enterprises using all these latest cutting-edge tools um, but as I say, we had feedback just before Christmas when we launched this thing that the team, uh, the first team in Japan who are using this have said, we absolutely love this product. Uh, we've been dreaming of it for years and now we finally have it. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're thrilled. And it's great for us because we've done everything with it right. We've done TDD, continuous integration. Uh, we've even got JavaScript unit testing through Node and NPM and Grunt. So it's, it's pretty much our perfect developer story, this, this product that we've built. And we're, we're, we're quite rightly very proud of it as a result. And it, you know, the funny part is I think that on the client side, as you describe it, they have mm. no idea of what you're doing on the back end. It just is no. a web app that doesn't suck. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, what was great is that we had a lot of technical freedom with it. Um, and I think this, 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 this product was something like two years in the making. Right. Uh, so, uh, and there's been a lot of technical freedom in terms of what people have been allowed to use and things. And so, yeah, so, and SignalR made a lot of sense because of its pub-sub mechanism. So, right. uh, you know, people could do other updates within the system and push that to Raven, and then we can subscribe to those and go, oh, we need to update the UI and stuff. So, SignalR gives us this really great two-way pub-sub mechanism where we have a rich interactive app that can update other systems, but can in, in itself also be updated. and. Really? What do you use for instrumentation on the client side? Like, do you, you know, we, we, we started this conversation, ended up in a, in a DevOps talk right off the bat, which I, I love. But, and and we, yeah. I think we really spoke it up right up to the deployment point on the way you're using Embraco to build these apps. How do yes. you get your feedback back into the dev cycle? Oh, I, like things like the testing stuff. And what, what but even the after you've got it out in the world and they're using it. Mm. You know, what do you, are you able to instrument in production? Do you see what, how people are actually using the app and where they're having problems or capturing the errors in production? Uh, yeah, we can, uh, we don't use a huge amount of instrumentation in production. Uh, but we do, uh, we, what we do is basically we've got a, if, if production has an issue, then we get an open ticket and then that goes through to the dev with a story to replicate. Uh, we've started implementing BDD here as well using, uh, Selenium and SpecFlow. So the idea is that if a, if a support request gets open for the product, then our tester will actually go and test that the, uh, case is real right. and that she, and that she can reproduce it and then she will write a behavior test for us and she'll do that using SpecFlow. And then, uh, which is again, a part of my favorite toolkit of, sure. of things in testability. But it still uh, means that you've got this human line of somebody hmm. has to complain to another yes. person who can reproduce to feed it back into the system. Yes, we have that. And it would be nice to try and improve that. But yeah, I, but I think it's an interesting part of, you think about how fast you're moving on the back end and how much freedom <laughs> you have technologically yes. because you move so quickly and can oh, test yes. so well. How do we mm. take that to the front side 
to uh, collecting see. feedback about how people are actually using the app and where they're having problems. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Uh, well, we do. We we have uh, feedback through logging. We're using Logfinet, and uh, we 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 looked at using a tool called New Relic, um, yeah. which uh, would give us performance and visibility and feedback. Um, interestingly, we had a, a little bit of a problem with New Relic, which is why uh, we're not using it. Before Christmas, we installed New Relic, and then we suddenly realized that it wasn't parsing Japanese properly. Uh, uh, so, you, we, uh, and you know, you're taking on some pretty hmm. hard problems here, yeah. especially yes. Japanese. I mean, of all of the multilingual implementations I've ever seen, yes, the Japanese one for it's every hard. company I've ever worked with was the hardest. Yes. Yes, it w- it will be. Uh, I read something about internationalization, which said that if you can run it in Turkish, then you sh- generally should be okay. If you set your culture to TRTR before you start testing, right? Uh, then then generally that should catch most things uh, because you've got Arabic text, you've got uh, different glyphs for numbers, various yes. other bits and pieces. Uh, the biggest so, thing I uh, find oh, with Turkish is that everything is so much bigger. Like if, yes. you, if you're going to break your CSS or any yeah. other formatting methodology you're using, you're going to break it in Turkish. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. And and it's uh, I think Tur- Turkish needs UTF-16, doesn't it? it, yeah, it, it? Yeah, it it's everything that's bad. And, and Arabic yes. in general is bad for that. But the thing yeah. with Japanese, I mean, it's mm. the double whammy of the up-down effect. But the characters are so specific. They Even mm-hmm. in simplified, it's just brutal. Yeah, it's uh, well. It was pretty brutal for us. We had a we had a we had a fun issue where uh, we got to UAT a couple of days before we were due to push to live, um, and we'd installed New Relic. And what we started seeing was that people were editing content on the UAT server, and they were hitting save. And then we went onto one page, and without the trailing slash on the URL. Uh, it would show two Unicode question marks, basically, and then with the trading slash, it would show three, and then when you add a qu- and then you add a query string on the end, and it would show none. So the error would vanish. Yeah. So and we spent we spent the the the, the former tech director and I spent uh, three days. Uh, no, I no, we spent a whole day going around in circles on this, going, what the hell could it be? What could it be? Could it be this? Could it be this? Uh, we added UDF-8 to all our meta tanks. We added uh, content in- forced content encoding out on IIS. We did everything we could think of. And we got to about 6 o'clock, and he just said, it's got to be the server uh, yeah. because it's got to be something on that server. He said, because this is fine on dev. It's fine everywhere else. It's just this server. And I said, hang on a minute. I said, when did we start UAT testing? He said, pretty, pretty much around about the time you started. This, mm. was, I, this was day four of my contract uh, nice. back in December. And I said, so, so I said, and what did you install around about the time I started? And he looks at me quizzically and goes, I said, New Relic. And he said, no, surely not. And I'd looked at New Relic and I could see that it was intercepting stuff in the IIS pipeline to tell you how fast it was running, you know, to give you all those lovely performance metrics, which is great and powerful. Um, but then I worked out that to do that, it must be running an HTTP module, right. which means it, if it's got the ability to intercept the request, it's got the ability to change the request. Yes. And it so, shouldn't be changing it. It should be exactly the same. It should be precisely so. But... Uh, I said to him, I said, I will put money on this right now. Go uninstall it. He said, no, it can't be. I said, I put money on it. Go and uninstall it and tell me if it works. And so he goes, uninstalls it and says, right, it's uninstalled. And I walk around to the editor's desk and say, right, go to this page, hit save again and reload. And magic, it worked. I went, lovely, I'm off down the pub. <laughs> 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 you, it, when, you spend, when, you, it, when you spend seven and a half 
hours <laughs> trying to fix a right. kerning error. Uh, yeah. a, a character interpretation error, which is caused by a piece of software you installed. Mm. You mm. go down the pub. <laughs> yeah. You need to take a break that day. I just, uh, you know, for me, as a yeah. guy who spends easily as much time in ops as I do in dev, yeah, that real-time instrumentation is incredibly valuable and worth mm. solving. Oh, yeah. Well, we're just about out of time here. Is there any uh, anything else you want to push or talk about right before we uh, sign off here? Um, I think i've covered every, uh i didn't cover anything about umbraco 5 but i think that's about it uh see personal project h5 yeah uh no i think i've pretty much covered covered everything all right so um, so yeah that's fantastic well thank you so much for all your work and your your focus and just you're just being awesome thanks <laughs> guys thank you so much it really has been an absolute pleasure it's been a blast for us too benjamin thank you and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a